Thank you, Father, that you're the preacher, that these are your words, that everyone here, everyone watching online, they're your children, Lord. And we come together just to be edified, to be exhorted, and to be comforted by knowing you, by seeing you, by uh, experiencing your loving embrace. Thank you, Lord, that, uh, man, people can be filled with the boldness of knowing that you're with them, even in them. Thank you, Father, that you open up our eyes, that even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, we can see you working in our lives. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Um, a few years ago, as many of you know, I started taking December off because I, I spend so much time ministering that I get worn out and tired, right, by the end of the year. Ministering like 12, 13 hours a day, sometimes you, you forget to take care of yourself. And by take care of yourself, I mean like sometimes it's difficult to have time with just you and the Lord without all the things you have going on, right? You spend a lot of your time seeking the Lord for other people, right? And so your time isn't just with the Lord with nothing going on in your head. Your time with the Lord ends up being about you praying for all the people that you love, that you see. And so the Lord led me to start taking a, a month off so that, that I could be refreshed and recharged by his presence where it's just me and him. And there's no agenda, right, where I'm not trying to pray for something or thinking about something. It's just him and I being together, right, walking in the cool of the day is what I call it, where my mind isn't filled with anything other than him and our union together. Um, and it always greatly refreshes me. Like, I need to be ministered to, right? Um, the, the minister needs to be ministered to. And inevitably speaking, every year this happens, God always shows me what he's doing in my life. Because sometimes when you get to the end of yourself and you feel the most weak, it's like, where are you, Lord? Right? Don't you care? Like the disciples in the boat, right? Don't you care we're perishing? Right? And, and sometimes you could feel like that. You could feel like, all oh, my labor's in vain. I'm tired. And so during the month, man, God showed me what he was doing in my life and what he had been doing in my life. And he really opened my eyes and gave me eyes to see exactly what he'd been doing in me. But he didn't just give me eyes to see what he was doing in me. He gave me eyes to see what he'd been doing in this place, right, all this time. What he'd been working in all of our lives, not just in my life, but in everybody's life. And not just in everybody's life that feels connected to this local church or the people out there that are connected here, but in the body of Christ, what he's doing in everybody's life, right? And I don't know if you realize it, but if you could see that God was doing things in your life to minister to you, you'd be good. You'd be okay, right? Proverbs says, with all you're, under, with all you're getting, Proverbs 4, I think, says, with all you're getting, get wisdom, get understanding. Now, I know we have an intellect, and I know we stand in awe of our intellectual prowess. I'm the chief of that kind of center, right? We're some very smart people. We can figure out a bunch of things. And so I know when we read that verse, with all you're getting, get wisdom, get understanding, we, we tend to immediately define that as some intellectual prowess, right? Understanding, right? But when it says, with all your wisdom, get, with all you're getting, get wisdom, get understanding, it's not really about an intellectual understanding that it's talking about. It's talking about your eyes being open to comprehend the working of God in your life. That's what it's talking about, right? Paul would come and describe it um, in Ephesians chapter 1, where he prayed that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of our, under, the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. Not the intellect of our understanding, but the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would come to know the powerful working of God in our lives in the hope of his calling. What is his calling? Lazarus, come forth from the grave. That's the work of God. He's called all of us out of the grave. Right? That's his working. And so with all you're getting, get wisdom. With all you're getting, get understanding is talking about your, the eye of your understanding being enlightened to where you could comprehend God with you in the midst of your life right now, working to serve you with life, working to swallow every bit of ounce of darkness, and working to produce the fruit of his spirit in you. 
And if you could actually see that God was on the scene, working in your life, working in your heart, purifying it from fear, producing peace. It wouldn't matter what's going on around you. You'd be like Jesus sleeping in the boat. I mean, why was Jesus sleeping in the boat? Amen. He was tired. <laughs> he was feeling like me before I took off. Or I talked to the Lord all the time. Why is it that Jesus was never rushed? Like he obviously had more things to do than me. But he's just going along, you know, methodically. He was tired. In the storm, though, that caused the other people to think that they were going to perish and that God didn't care, that, that same thing wasn't happening in Jesus. Because Jesus had understanding. He had wisdom. The eyes of his understanding were enlightened to know that God was with him, that God was upholding his life, right? And that nothing in this world, the storms of this life, the storms of this world, they might come crashing into this boat. They might try to come crashing into my life, but they cannot overcome me. That's why Jesus cried out Abba on the cross. The eyes of his understanding were enlightened. He saw that the Father would not suffer him to see corruption. He saw that the Father would raise him up from the dead. He saw that the Father would clothe upon his mortal body with immortality. He saw that he would put off corruption and put on incorruption. He could see God. And that's really why, you know, when you read in, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit, right? Words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Like Shelley come up here and, and give a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge, right? Why is it those things, why is it those things even bless us? Is it just because we think the person that gives them is super spiritual? Wow, they're a mighty man or woman of God. I promise you, if that's what we think, we're missing the point. The, the reason why words of wisdom and words of knowledge are even there, the reason why they even bless us is because they come and convince us that of a surety, God is with us. Someone comes and tells us that God is aware of something in our life, that God sees something, that God is with us, that God's ironing it out. And immediately we feel good, don't we? And why do we feel good? Because this word came and told us God's there and he's actually doing something in our life. And then, well, okay, everything's okay, right? Because we were looking at everything wondering, is God there? And then a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge could come to give you understanding. God is in your life. He is working. Okay, then all is well. All is well. And really, Jesus is God giving us all a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge. I used to seek all these different words, thinking, and I, I realize now the reason why I sought those words is because I didn't have understanding. The eyes of my understanding had not yet been enlightened, and I did not see God with me always working in my life. And so I needed these words to convince me God is there. He does love you. Okay, okay. But eventually what I saw was that God gave all of us a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge in Jesus. Jesus is called the word of God. He is the word of God made flesh. And Jesus is God himself giving us a word of knowledge about our life so that we could be convinced, so that we could be persuaded once for all time that he is with us working life in us. Right? Hallelujah. God's always working life in us. Just like the song says, even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, he's working life in you. He's working in you a greater degree of glory than you could possibly imagine. It says exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or think. God is busy working in you right now. He is. That's what Jesus knew when he was even nailed to the cross. That's why he said, Abba. You think he felt like God was working? I promise you, your flesh does not feel like God is working on your behalf when you're nailed to a tree. And the blood is, and they put it through your, and right through your feet, through your, your heel. After they flogged you to death, your body does not feel like God is working. But Jesus knew. So God is always working life in us. I know there's times where we don't think God is working in our lives. All of us have felt that where we didn't know if God was working in our lives. And the reason we felt that is because we can see the world around us perishing. We can see that the world around us is perishing sometimes. We can see that we're perishing sometimes. That's what the disciples said in the boat. Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And so when you see the world around you perishing, 
and you see your life perishing, there's a tendency to think that God isn't there and he's not working in your life. But the Apostle Paul comes and says something beautiful. He says many beautiful things. But Paul said, though our outward man perish, God is renewing our inward man day by day. And this is a powerful thing, because what, what Paul's saying there, he's saying is even though we may see the world around us perishing, God is with us in the midst of that, working life in us powerfully. That's what it means to be renewed day by day. In that verse, he's not talking about your mind being renewed. He's talking about God restoring your soul. He's talking about God working to manifest his life inside of you in the midst of your outward man perishing. And so Paul felt great comfort in the midst of all of his afflictions because he had a revelation that though my outward man perishes, God is with me even in me, working life in me. He even come to this great revelation where he said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I used to think that he was saying it's better to die than it is to live. Well, no, what he's saying is even if I die, Christ will still be manifested in me. If I live in this earth, Christ will be manifested in me. If I live in this earth, life will come forth for me. Even should I die in this earth, life will come forth for me. Oh, hallelujah. And so what happens is when you see your outward man perishing, you no longer look at it as if life is far from you, but you start to see God is with me even in me. He's going to manifest life in me. Hallelujah. That's why Paul could sing songs while he's strapped in a prison. He didn't think, well, if I sing songs, then God will save me. No, he sang songs because he saw God already saved him. God already got it right to deliver his life from this earth and to hide his life with him in Christ. And so what could this prison do to me? Paul sang because he was filled with boldness. He was filled with confidence that even should they kill him in this prison, this prison can't take my life. This prison can't keep my life down because God Almighty has tabernacled in me. <laughs> Becky, man, she, she's like a, a little house... She's always keeping the house clean. Like, she really wants the house to be clean. It's like a nest. Sometimes I see her like a busy little bee, right, working to make things nice for me. And even our little dog. She wants it to be nice for our little dog. But sometimes I see her working, and so I go over there, what you doing? Because I'm just, oh, look at this woman keeping the house. God is in you. He's like a merry little housekeeper. We so easily forget that we are the tabernacle of God, that we are his house. And so, man, you might peer around the corner sometimes and look, what, what you doing in there? What kind of housekeeping you got going on? I mean, seriously, we have these houses that like break down, don't, don't we? You ever look at all the things wrong with your house and feel like, oh, my goodness. But if you could see somebody working on the house, you would feel okay. Well, that's the same way. Sometimes we look at our lives. Our lives are like a house. We're a tabernacle. This is an earthen vessel, Paul said. The earthly tabernacle was a sign of an earthen vessel. Well, man, it, sometimes we think our whole house is falling apart. The shingles are coming off. The gutters have come down. The gutters are filled with leaves, and they're filled with pine straw. The water won't come out anymore. It's just dripping over. Oh, my gosh. We could see. Maybe just say, what you doing in me, Lord? And just ask God to pop open your eyes so you could see him with you in your life. And so you could see what he's doing. Tell the Lord that you can already see what the world is doing. But do you know there's a different sight? You know, there's a kind of sight that was revealed in the faith that came in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you want to know what he's doing in your life. You don't care what the world tells you about what's going on in your life. Lord, I see what the world says. What are, what are you doing in my life, Lord? I need to see you with me in my life right now. Hmm. Glory to God. We're the workmanship of God, Paul said. And the workman... You being the workmanship of God is not God trying to make you behave right and act right so he can like you. That's not the workmanship. When Paul said that we are his workmanship, he goes on to say the work that God is doing is to create in you Christ Jesus. The work God is doing, 
the creating he's trying to bring forth is he's trying to fully form inside of you his faith, his belief, and thus his life. And he's relentless. He will never stop pursuing you. Like I think it's Paul that said, he who hath begun a good work and you will bring it to completion. The good work he, 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 he began in you was to bring forth life in you. That's the good work. All the behavior we don't like in our lives, it's all the fruit of us thinking we don't have something we need for life. And if we think we don't have something we need for life, we're going to enlist our own strength to try to get it. And the more we try to get life through our own strength, the more we're going to bring forth destruction. And so we are his workmanship. And what we see in Jesus is God with us, forming his faith in us, helping us to comprehend the height, the width, the breadth, the depth of the love of God for us. Hey, it's nice when your, situa it's nice when your circumstances get ironed out. It's nice. I mean, Becky and I lived with my parents for four years while we started this church because we went from having jobs that paid us money to not having any jobs and not having any income. And there was a time where we didn't like the circumstances and we wanted to have our own house, our own place to live, you know. And so it was nice when we got that. But I promise you this, you don't need your situation to change as much as you need a revelation of the height, the width, the breadth and the depth of the love of God for you. Right. And your situation tries to distract you from looking upon the God of all glory in whom there is no shadow of turning. There is only him working life in you and only him showing you the work that he did to serve you with life. The, the situation that you find yourself in is trying to distract you from the work of God in your life. And really, all you need is to be reminded of the work of God. And listen, God desires to show you his work. Everything he's ever done was about him putting his work on display in your midst so that you could be put to rest by beholding his work. When he, even in creation, when he made creation, when did he make Adam? At the beginning of creation or at the end? Why did he make Adam at the end of the creation? Because he wanted to show Adam the work which he had done. And he wanted Adam to walk in his good work. Because he knew that if Adam could walk in his good work, Adam would be put to rest. Why did Jesus come? To manifest the work of God. Why? So that we could behold the work of God in our life. And that we could see that he doth work. And that he is on the scene serving us with life. And we don't have to try to serve ourselves with life. And then we could be put to rest by walking in his good work. That's the whole thing he, he ever liveth. To show you the work he's done on your behalf. He ever liveth to show you how precious your life is in his sight. He ever liveth to show you that when he thought of you being overcome by the death in the world, he said to himself, let it never be so. And he'd rather take your death into himself than let you die. That's why we say, my God. Because the only way the human heart could actually say, my God, to call someone their God, is if they see that God would rather die themselves than let you die. That's when you say, my God. Hmm. That's when you become touched by it. So the messages we've preached over the years, they might seem like happenstance. They're not. There's no coincidence, the order of the messages. There's no accident that they've come forth the way that they do. Sometimes I'm so lost in, in ministry that I don't see it exactly. I'm just going. Like, I don't even have time to think about that stuff. But when I'm off for a, for a year, God's like, dink, 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 dink. And I'm like, wow. It's no accident what he's done. God's been systematically renewing our minds from the wisdom in the world to the wisdom that's Christ. Paul come and said, Christ, the wisdom of God. And so God's been systematically renewing our minds. He, what he's been doing is growing us up into himself. He's been growing us up in the wisdom and stature of sonship, right? It says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. God is with us right now. He's been with us the previous year and the year before and the year before. He'll be with us in this coming year and the year after. And he's growing us up into the stature of sonship. The scriptures talk about Jesus eating honey and butter. As a young child, that he might know that which was the way unto life and the way that was unto death. The honey and the butter, the honey come forth from the, the rock. The honey is a sign of the provision of God. 
And so God's been feeding us with honey and butter. He's been feeding us with the true manna from heaven so that he could exercise our senses so that we could clearly discern the way that was unto life and the way that was unto death. So we could clearly discern that the world is not the father of our life. Our lives are not hid in this world. Though this world fall down, our lives will stand up. Though 10,000 come against me, my life can't fall. And so God's been working that in us, right? And, you know, for many of us, when we first came into the revelation of grace, we were a bit like the Hebrews. And I mean the Hebrews that were in Egypt in bondage. I'm just being honest, we were. There's nothing new that's under the sun. A lot of the body of Christ, we, when God found us, when we come into the revelation of grace, we were like the Hebrews when God came and grabbed them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. If you look at those, those Hebrews, God led them out of Egypt, but their minds, their hearts were so stained with the strength in their own hand and the strength that's in the world. Their minds were so stained with the, the works that they could bring forth, with the things that were in the world, as if their laboring and toiling was the thing that got them life. Their minds were so filled with that that they struggled to believe God would provide for them. They were all the time still looking to the same source for life as they looked when they were still in Egypt, right? Well, because in Egypt, they had to work and labor to get meat. It didn't just fall from the sky like manna. <laughs> and so for many of us, man, our minds were so stained with the strength of the flesh. Our minds were so stained with the strength we see in our own hands and the strength that we see in the things of the world, as if those things are the bread that could feed us with life. Our minds were so stained with that thinking that God's been proving our hearts. And what I mean by proving our hearts is he's been clearly showing us that the world can't give us life. That even good things, there's good things in the world. There's things in the world for us to enjoy. There's good things in our life. We can enjoy people. We can enjoy our relationships. Even those good things, those good things cannot give you life. I love my wife. It says, uh, what does it say about the man who finds a wife, finds a good thing? Well, I mean, my wife is a good thing. There's no doubt about it. But my wife can't give me life. And if I dwell with her as if she can, well, that will be unto destruction. God even had to, to teach me that. I didn't realize I was looking to my wife as the source of peace and love and joy. Do you know what kind of heavy burden you put on a person when you're looking to them for your peace and your love and your joy? They better act perfect. They better be God. <laughs> right? And God's even been removing that from my heart. So that our trust would be towards him instead of the strength in the world and the strength in our own hands. He's been systematically doing that in us. The heart is like an onion. You ever peeled an onion? Like it just keeps all the layers. It's kind of like, wow, there's more layers. He keeps peeling the onion. So God's been busy kicking over the idols that got it right to climb up into the high places of our heart. Right? Like I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't trying to be an idol worshiper when I was looking to my wife for peace. But I was certainly worshiping the creation and not the creator. If I thought the power for me to have peace was her behavior. And if she could now do everything exactly the way I thought it should be done. That's a miserable life, huh, baby? So God's been kicking over the idols, the things we've been looking to, thinking they could serve us with life. He's been kicking them over by showing us. He doesn't come and accuse us because we did it. He understands that we're in this world and that this world has been trying to grow us up in its way. That this world has been coming to us and showing us things that look good for food and telling us, look, this can give you food. And so God sees how it could happen. He doesn't despise it for happening. But he loves us too much to leave us in the place where we're looking to things for life that can't give us life. And so he's come and he's kicked over the idols. He's come and kicked over all the things that we made much of, all the things that had gotten exalted in our hearts as if they could give us life, as if they could satisfy us, as if they could give us contentment. He's methodically been kicking all those things over and filling us with meekness. 
Meekness. I know you guys think I'm just preaching a message now, but I'm telling you about your life. I'm telling you about what God's been doing in your life. I'm telling you about where God's bringing the body of Christ, where God's been bringing us all of this time. He's kicking over the idols so he can fill us with meekness. Now, meekness is a funny thing because we have our own definition of meekness. In the world's definition of meekness, our cultural definition of meekness is not the meaning of meekness in the Bible. It's not the same thing. And so meekness, as it's defined in the scriptures, is when the strength and ability of God is exalted in your sight instead of the strength and ability you see in yourself and in the world. I'm going to say that again. Meekness, as it's defined in the scriptures, is when the strength and ability of God is exalted in your sight, where you're no longer taking thought of the strength you see in the world or the strength you see in yourself, but your thoughts are filled with the strength you see in God and the ability you see in God and the life you see in God. Where everywhere you go, it's the life of God that is exalted in your eyes and not the life you see in the world, right? It's when a person thinks nothing of their own strength and they think much of the strength of God. It's when a person no longer takes thought of their own life. Remember when Jesus said, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, what you shall wear. He says that right after he says, blessed are the meek. And he's defining meekness in that place. And do you know what he's telling you? He's, he's telling you that meekness is defined as no longer taking thought for your own life, and no longer taking thought of what you need to do to give your life care, to nurture your life unto peace and love and joy, but he's telling you to take thought of the, the care God has given your life. Let your mind be filled with the thought God has taken to give your life care. That's why he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God's righteousness to do what? Care for your life. The Holy Spirit is poured out into the earth to be in you, to dwell with you, to convince you of the righteousness of God to give your life the care it needs. If your life needs care, there's good news for you. God's with you to care for your life. And if you can't see God with you to care for your life, ask him to show you. Meekness. You can see meekness in Abraham. It says he didn't consider himself or Sarah, but he considered God. Well, what does that mean? It means that Abraham saw he was filled with deadness and Sarah was filled with deadness. But then he's thinking, how can I be exceedingly fruitful? How can I be the father of many nations? Well, he took no thought of the deadness he saw in his body or the weakness he saw there. He wasn't thinking of the weakness he saw in Sarah or the weakness he saw in self. But what was lifted up in Abraham's heart was the almighty God who can even raise the dead. That's what Hebrews says about Abraham, that Abraham believed that even should Isaac die, God can raise the dead. Even should my body be dead, even should Sarah's womb be dead, God has a life in himself that overcomes deadness in the flesh. He was meek. He was meek. That's what meekness is. And so God poured out onto us, when, he, when Jesus ascended to the right hand of God and he poured out the Holy Spirit, God, the Spirit that was poured out was the Spirit of the Son. The same Spirit that was in the Son. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so God poured on, out on us the Spirit of the Son so that he could work the way of the cross in us. And we finished last year talking about the way of the cross. And I'm going to talk about the way of the cross again. But he poured out the spirit of his son into the earth to work the way of the cross in us so that he could fill us with meekness. And now, let me tell you, the foundation for meekness has been laid. The foundation for meekness has been laid. We see the cross, and we're no longer thinking of our own strength. We're no longer thinking of the strength that's in the world. We come and say, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's the very life of Christ that's living in me. The power behind my life is no longer my own strength, my own ability. The power behind my life is no longer the strength that's in the world or the things that are in the world. The power behind my life is the very resurrected Jesus, which is the life of God himself. And so we've seen that. We've seen the cross and we think nothing of our own works. 
We think nothing of our strength. Your strength is done, Billy. I know you hit a golf ball real good, but your strength is done. I know you could throw a ball and hit it, but your strength is done. But when we hear that our strength is done, that our strength is worthless, that doesn't mean that strength isn't present with us. And we need to understand that about meekness. Meekness doesn't mean, woe is me, I have no strength. Meekness is you're filled with boldness and strength because you're no longer thinking of your own ability, but you're thinking of the life of God. And I promise you, inside of the life of God is a strength that overcomes all things, that created all things, that can even glorify dead flesh. Meekness, what do we got to say in meek as a mouse? That's not an accurate depiction of biblical meekness. Meekness is not to be confused with the absence of strength or the absence of ability. It's not to be confused with shyness or passivity. Meekness is not timidity. Meekness does not mean to be timid, right? In fact, biblical meekness, do you know what it will produce in you? Boldness and confidence. It will actually animate you with strength. If you look at David, David was the meek. And David wrestled a lion and a bear. And he killed the lion and the bear. And after he did that, David, filled with meekness, showed up when Goliath was uncovering the nakedness of the children of Israel. And David showed up, all five foot six of himself, and when they wanted to put the king's armor on him, which was the strength that was in the world, what did David say? I don't need that. You see, David was the meek. He thought nothing of the strength that was in the world. He thought nothing of the armor that the world could make. But he had the strength of God, the life of God lifted up in his heart. And it filled him with a boldness. It filled him with a confidence. And when none of the champions of Israel had anything to say about Goliath and didn't want to go out there, even though they had the swords and the armor of the world, David, who had nothing, picked up five little pebbles and came and said who is this uncircumcised philistine that he should speak against the children of god that's meekness that don't fit our definition of meekness so we are not confuse meekness with absence of strength meekness will actually make you bold as a lion bold as a lion right? There's a confidence, there's a boldness that will come upon you when you're no longer thinking of your own strength, when you're no longer examining yourself to see if you have the ability that's needed. Do you know what fills you with weakness? Is when you look at yourself for the ability that you need. Do you know what will make you shy and isolate yourself and be passive? When your own ability and your own strength is lifted up in your heart. But when you think nothing of the strength you see in yourself, the strength of your own name, the strength that you see in the world around you, but you only think of the strength that's contained in the life of God, a life that can even raise the dead, man, a boldness and a confidence will come upon you. And you'll be like David, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You know, the only reason why I stand here still today preaching is because God filled me with meekness. Because I promise you, there was a period of time where my mind had got filled with my own ability to be a preacher, and I was experiencing great weakness. And I tell you what, it was a daily fight not to run away. I told, I'll come home and tell my wife, we'll just leave. Let's just go. I don't know if you guys realize it, but I don't really fit the mold of a public speaker. I'm loud. I walk back and forth a lot. I don't talk well. I don't speak in complete sentences. I say things like ain't. <laughs> and then if you combine that with all my inadequacies as a man of God, I use some words, man, not on purpose, but I come, I, I lived, I grew up in the streets. And so, some of my language, man, can be difficult for people. I don't cuss, but I mean, I could say things like hell and stuff like that. And people are like, what are you doing? <laughs> so listen, man, there was a time where I was looking at myself to determine if I had the strength and the ability to do what I'm doing. And I'm telling you what, the more I looked at myself, the more I said, I cannot get you up out of this place. And my heart was telling me too, just leave, man. 
You don't have to do this. But what happened was God systematically tore down my strength in my sight. But he didn't leave me in the place where I thought, well, then I don't have any strength. He came and showed me his strength. And now I live in this world by his strength. It's not because I'm a good preacher that people will be ministered to. It's not because I'm a good talker. It's not because I say the right words. It's because the words coming out of my mouth are spirit and life. And they don't have to be good. They don't have to be eloquent. They just have to be the truth that was revealed in Jesus. Right? And now I have a, I have a boldness. I have a confidence that even should everybody hate what I, my preaching style, I can't stop. We won't stop. We can't stop. Do you know why? Because the power behind my life is not whether people accept me as a preacher. The power behind my life is the life of God. And his life can't stop. His life can't stop working in you. He has deposited his incorruptible seed in all of you. He has deposited the spirit of his life in you. And that spirit, that life can't stop. It won't stop. It won't stop until it completes what it was sent here for, which was to produce the fruit of the Spirit in you and to glorify your mortal body with immortality. Mm. Right? Hallelujah. One of my friends that I went to high school with, they never thought I'd be a preacher. And he saw me preaching, and he was like, there's something wrong on the inside of you. <laughs> and I was like, yes, yes, there is. I don't know why I do what I do, but, man, God is good. Uh, that God makes foolish the wisdom of the world. It's just like God to take somebody the world rejects, right, and then use those people to minister him. The disciples and the apostles were that way. You know, in the book of Acts, John and Peter, they came upon the crippled dude, right, the crippled guy. And when they saw the crippled guy, their minds weren't filled with their own name. Their minds weren't filled with their own strength. Their minds weren't filled with, can we heal this guy? Their minds weren't even filled with their own words or their own prayers. That's not what they were thinking when they came upon that guy. When they came upon that guy, their minds were filled with God's ability. Because they just saw God's ability in the resurrected Jesus. And they just saw that God's life was even able to heal the impotence of a dead body. And so when they saw this cripple guy, that's nothing, that's nothing for the life of God. If God can even take a guy that was flogged to death to the point that he was dying and that, that, that was crucified on a tree and was laid in a tomb for three days, if God can even take that guy and heal that guy, then this guy whose legs are impotent, whose legs are weak, that's nothing compared, nothing for God. And so they weren't thinking about their strength. They were thinking about the strength that emanates from the life of God. They were meek. And that meekness filled them with the confidence and the boldness. And the confidence and the boldness was silver and gold have we not. We don't come with the strength of this world. Neither do we come with the power that's contained in this world. We're not coming with filthy lucre, but we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the power of a life that overcomes death. In the name of Jesus, in the name of his life, by the power of his incorruptible seed, stand up and walk. These are guys who didn't even think they could go to the synagogue before. Because we're sinners. <laughs> they saw the, the weakness in the crippled guy. They saw his body, his legs, and they saw that weakness had been bound in the body of Jesus Christ. They saw it was bound. They saw the incorruptible life of God and the strength that comes from his life. And they saw that it was loosed in them and that it was loosed in all of the earth when Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. This guy led captivity captive. There's a life in him that even takes death captive. Well, death has come upon this brother asking for silver and gold. He thinks that silver and gold can help his dilemma, but it can't. We come in the power of a life that overcomes the weakness of mortal flesh. And they declared it. They were calling heaven into earth. And so the reason why they told that guy to stand up is because they saw God with them. They saw God was in them. By, the, by his Holy Spirit, the presence of God goes before us, is what they believed. Acts, 4, chapter, or Acts chapter 4, verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, the Pharisees and all the people around, notice that word boldness. 
when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now, you know what that word boldness in Hebrew means? It's kind of an interesting thing. It, it's to trust. That doesn't fit with what we would think boldness would be. We would think bravado. Right? Listen to the Hebrew meaning of the word boldness or bold. Trust in, to have confidence, be confident, to be secure, to feel safe. This one is really interesting. Be careless. Be careless. That means for your mind not to be filled with the care of your life. Hmm. That's an inter- that was an interesting thing for me. Safety, to be secure, right? So boldness is what comes out of a person should they believe they are safe. The disciples were bold because they believed their lives were safe. That's a very interesting thing because we know they went out into the public under the threat of death every time they went out. And yet when they went out under the threat of death, they felt safe and careless. Boldness is what comes out of a person should they feel free from the cares that pertain to the life in this world. See, there's a life that the world has brought forth. And there's a whole lot of things you got to do to care for the life that this world has brought forth. And if your mind is filled with the cares or the caring of the life that this world has brought forth, you're going to be filled with fear and anxiety. You ain't going to feel safe. You ain't going to feel careless. And you're not going to feel confident or filled with boldness. Right? I don't know about you guys. I just assume it's true because I know it's true in my life. I always thought the apostles were some superhuman dudes. Like the cream of the crop. That they're like better people than me and everybody else. Like these are some like superhero dudes, you know, like we have the X-Men. We got Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman, right? I always thought that the apostles were like these kind of a people. Look at what they did. They're just better than me. That's why they did that, right? They did it because they're so much better than me. But that's not what was going on at all. And and please don't misunderstand me. I hold the apostles in high regard. But I don't hold them in high regard because they're better than me. I hold them in high regard because they saw the Lord with them. And they were persuaded of what it meant that the Lord was with them. But I even see that God persuaded them. So I know he can persuade me. And so we only think of the exploits of the apostles. But I don't know. Guys, I know as soon as I say this, we're all going to remember Those dudes were a bunch of scaredy cats for a long time. Those dudes were like afraid to do anything. I mean, Peter didn't even want to be confused with somebody who had been with Jesus. Three times he denied the Lord. Three times he denied the Lord. All those guys were hiding before the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit was poured out. They weren't out in the square declaring Jesus. When you look at Jesus on the cross, I mean, Jesus himself said, the time is coming where the prince of this world is going to come to me and no one, everyone will scatter from me and it will look like I'm alone, but I'm not alone. When Jesus was on the cross, you know, there was only two disciples, two people there, three. John, and we assume that because it says the disciple whom Jesus loved, which in John's gospel, we know he's talking about himself, Mary, his mother, and Mary Magdalene. None of the other ones were there. Do you know why they weren't there? Because they were a bunch of scaredy cats. They were scattered for fear of being arrested along with Jesus. (laughs) Now, these same disciples that were once scared to even say they knew Jesus, these same disciples who were hiding in the upper room, Scared for their lives. Anybody ever know what it's like to feel scared for your life? I think all of us know. Scared for their lives. These same guys all of a sudden are filled with boldness and confidence in the face of certain death. 
You ain't got to wonder what's going to happen to you if you come say in the name of Jesus because they took the guy named Jesus and put him on a cross. And in fact, you see every single one of the apostles martyred, murdered. And do you know why they were murdered? For declaring Jesus. The only one you see not martyred is John. And it ain't because he was hiding. So what happened to the disciples? And I'm using this to keep talking about what God's doing in us. God has set the foundation of meekness. He's working to fill us with meekness. That meekness is not timidity. That meekness is not passivity. That meekness is not the absence of strength. He's filling us with meekness so we can be filled with boldness and confidence in this world. So that we don't look to the power behind our name for strength. But we look to the power behind his name for strength. Where we don't live in this world looking at the strength in the world or the strength we see in ourselves to be filled with confidence. But we look to the life we see in God. And we see that his life has no spots in blame. We see there's no weakness in his life. There's no lack in his life. And his life is my life. And that fills us with a boldness and a confidence as we walk in this world to be who and what we are and to say what it is that needs to be said and to declare the Christ. What happens? To where, I mean, they're scared for their lives. And then all of a sudden, let's just be honest, we can say they're filled with the reckless abandon. All of a sudden, they're like the word boldness, me careless. I mean, we would think it's careless to go out in the streets and people are looking for you to kill you. It's careless. And yet all of a sudden, these dudes have no care. They're no longer filled with the cares of trying to manage their life or the life that's in the world. You know what they forsook? Death management. That's what I call it. You know what the world is busy with? Death management. Why do you think we have so much medication? No offense to people in the medical industry. That's how it goes. Why do you think we have all these systems in place, all these things in place? We're trying to manage death. Why do you think the disciples were hiding? They were trying to manage the death so that it didn't come to their house. And then all of a sudden, one day, they're no longer busy with death management because they see God disrespected death in their midst. God managed death when he swallowed it from the inside out, inside the body of Jesus. And they began walking in the world by that. That life led them. What filled the disciples with that boldness? Where did it come from? Well, Acts chapter 1 tells us, verse 7 and 8. This is what it says. And he said unto them, this is Jesus talking, when they asked him, when shall be the time of your coming? You ever notice how everybody wants to try to determine when the time of his coming is? You have people talking about when it will be in the future, and then you have the same people that want to determine the time of his coming that say it already passed. Well, Jesus come and said, no one knows. That's not for you to know. That's nonsense. Set your eyes on me. The time of my coming will be, and you'll know it because you'll see life manifested in the earth, and you'll see death cast into the lake of fire. There'll be no more death anywhere in creation. That's how you'll know. So Acts chapter 1, and he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's when it came. So when this, listen, guys, when the disciples saw the Holy Spirit descend and rest upon them like a cloven tongue of fire, it meant something specific to them. They weren't like, oh, this is cool. Like it declared something to them. It had a powerful significance to them. That is what was the source of them being filled with boldness. It wasn't some kind of thing that they didn't understand why they were filled with boldness. There was a very real thing they believed that this baptism of the Holy Spirit meant that caused them to be filled with boldness and confidence. It meant very, something very specific to them. And what it meant to them is that heaven had collided with them. Heaven and earth collided in them because the Spirit is from above. That's the very presence of God. That's the very life of God. And if that Spirit has now been poured out on all flesh, the Spirit of the living God and the fire of God's life, the fire of God's presence that used to come down and manifest in the tabernacle, in the exodus, and in the wilderness, if that fire is now resting upon my head, it means that heaven and earth have collided inside of me. 
If you want to find the same boldness born in you, the same meekness, the same confidence born in you that was born in the apostles, and it doesn't just have to be for ministry. It could just be as you walk through this world because you can walk through this world living in a normal avenue of life and things will come against your name. Things will come against your life. Things will try to destroy you. Things will try to make you conform. And if you want to be filled with the same boldness and confidence they were, man, you want to understand what they thought about that. When they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, they taught as I'm baptized in the presence of the living God. Do you know why you call God the living God? Because it means he can't die. So if you've now been baptized in a God that ever liveth, then guess what that means about you? You can't die. The world can't kill you. Can the world kill God? We all real quick, no, no. Do you think God would be walking around in the world afraid of all the death everywhere? No, why not? Because he knows he ever liveth. <laughs> well, whose life do you have? Hmm. <laughs> the apostles saw this cloven tongue of fire, and they knew their bodies had become the temple of the living God. God himself had come to dwell with them in their house to keep their house from sin and death. They saw this baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they said, just like Jesus said, the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. That's what they saw, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You are in the Father, and the Father is in you. Your life is safe. Even should the whole world blow up, your life is safe. Your life is secure. Jesus wasn't afraid of what man could do to him. You know why he wasn't afraid of what man could do to him? Because he was the manifestation of the life of God. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. What he said, why he said he was the resurrection and the life is because he is a life that even overcomes death. And so what could man do to me? That's what the disciples start thinking. So before they go out, there's a whole lot of stuff man can do to us. And then after the Holy Spirit come, what can they do to me? What can they do to me? See, the death they were afraid of was disrespected in their midst. You think that death is so strong? Let me show you what it looks like inside of the body of the Lord Jesus. You see any death in Jesus now? You see any sin in Jesus now? You see any weakness in Jesus now? Do you know how that happened inside of him? The spirit of the living God. The same spirit that descended on the apostles on the day of Pentecost. That's the power you shall receive from on high. Meekness will be born in you. You'll no longer take thought of your own strength, your own name, the power you see in the world, but all of a sudden, the very power and life of God will be lifted up in your heart. If God be for me, what can be against me, Paul says. These verses are all in the Bible, but they become like cliches. We say it when we feel good. If God be for me, what can be against me? Right? But the disciples saw death was against them when they said that. And if God be for me, then how can this death even stand against me? <laughs> they saw the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus told the apostles, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And that which you, that which you see bind, bound in me, and that which you see loosed in me, you will have the power to bind that in the earth and loose that in the earth. And so when the Holy Spirit came down, they saw that they had been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, that sin and death had been bound in them already, and that eternal life had been loosed in them. The fear of what man could do to them was removed because they had been anointed with an incorruptible life. When you talk about whipping out the oil and anointing someone, Man, the power isn't that oil. The power is that the oil declares an anointing of the incorruptible life of God. We come and anoint the sick with oil. We're not like this oil. What we're busy with is the incorruptible life of God. The disciples saw that God had anointed them with his incorruptible life. What can they do? You see, the, the disciples were fearful before the Holy Spirit because their minds were filled with their own strength, the strength of their own name, and the strength that's in the world. They were afraid of man because the life the world fathered and the weakness of that life was lifted up in their hearts. That's why they were afraid of man. 
right? They saw the life that the world has brought forth is fragile. The life in the world is fragile. Why do you think it fills us with so much anxiety? That's why God come to give us a different life that hasn't been fathered by the world, that's been fathered by him, because there's no anxiety in his life. Do you know why? Because his life isn't fragile. His life is in you. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For so long we come together and rejoice about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we ought to rejoice, but we ought to unpack what that means. So that we really walk in the power of it. What did it mean to these guys when they saw the Holy Spirit descend upon them? Mm. When that Holy Spirit entered the upper room, like a rushing mighty wind, baptizing them in God himself, baptizing them in God himself, immersing them in God himself. They were filled with meekness. They no longer worried about their lives. They saw the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a sign that God had just taken thought to give their life the care that it needed. They saw the baptism of the Holy Spirit like Noah saw the ark. That this ark will pitch me within and without. And the destruction that's in this world won't be able to touch my life because I'll be preserved inside of the ark. Well, the apostles, when they saw the descending of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they saw that meant God had cared for their life. God would care for their life. God is caring for their life. And they saw that their life had been pitched within and without and that that Holy Spirit was like an ark for them as they walked in a world that was flush with death. They saw in the tabernacle of God. The presence of God Almighty goes before me. They saw God was with them upholding their life. I mean, if you see the hand of God holding you up, I promise you it don't matter how hard somebody push you from the front. You ain't going down. You like one of those punching bags that you put sand in the bottom and it goes down and pops back up. It goes down and pops back up. It goes down and pops back up. That's what it's like, the Holy Spirit in you. The world might come and strike a Mike Tyson blow. And you might feel yourself going like that. And all of a sudden, you're standing back up. And you're like, how did I stand back up? I felt kind of woozy. Oh, God. Right? Mm. They were no longer filled. The apostles were no longer filled with the cares that pertain to the life in this world. That's why they were filled with boldness. That's why they were filled with confidence. Do you know what ails us? Man, the world has really filled our minds with the cares that pertain to this life. Right? But the Holy Spirit come to fill our minds with the care God has given our lives by sealing us in himself. Right? Does that make any sense? I mean, they were going to be cast out by the whole community. You guys understand that, right? They, they labeled Jesus a blasphemer, a heretic. And so for them to come out in the name of Jesus, listen, man, it wasn't just that they could be nailed to a cross, but they were going to be ostracized from the whole Jewish community. They weren't going to be able to be in the marketplace. They weren't going to be able to trade. They weren't going to be accepted. They were going to be outcasts. Well, all of a sudden, man, they no longer considered their own name and their own reputation. As if you could gain something from the community accepting you. You can't gain anything from the community accepting you unless the community you're talking about accepting you is Father, Son, and Spirit. And so they were very concerned about what will happen all our family, everybody we know, everybody will leave us, everyone will reject us. Well, all of a sudden, they no longer cared about any of that. Their mind was filled with the name of God and the power behind his name. That's why they no longer cared. They had the assurance that comes from faith. They had the assurance that comes from knowing the death in the world could not keep them from seeing God. The death in the world could not keep them from seeing the fullness of the glory of God manifesting inside of their human flesh. Listen, and this, I'll finish with this. This is what I see God doing in all our lives. What I just described happened inside of the apostles. This is how I see the foundation God's been laying for all of us to produce meekness in us. He's working the way of the cross in us to do something in us where we give up the ghost. Give up the ghost means you lay down the life that's in the world. You no longer identify with the life that's in the world. 
right? And that fills us with meekness. So our hearts can be purified from fear and we can be delivered from the fear of man and we can live in this world bold as a lion or a lioness. <laughs> so God right now, God is working in our hearts. He's working in your heart. And what he's working is your, in your heart is to bring something forth in you where you're more aware of his life than the life you see around you. That's what he's working in you. He's working in you so you could be more aware of his life than the life you see in the world. He's doing something in us where we live in this world no longer in awe of the strength of death, but we live in this world with his incorruptible life, God's incorruptible life exalted in our sight. God's persuading our hearts that we have a life from him and the life we have with him is without spot or blemish. He's persuading our hearts that the life we have from him can't be hurt by sin and death. We're so worried about what can hurt us. But the things that you think can hurt you, can they hurt eternal life? Okay, so if you actually want to be protected from the things you think that can hurt you, the medicine is eternal life. That's the medicine. And just so there's no confusion, God's not telling us we should be bold. He's not sending us out. That's how we did it in the old days. We see that a power came and now we got to go exhort the authority. But we didn't understand why they were filled with boldness. God's not telling us we should be bold. He's not sending us out to try and produce boldness. That's not how it works. The scripture doesn't say that God told the disciples to be bold. The scripture doesn't say that God told the disciples have boldness. The scripture says they were filled with boldness by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, Jesus told them, don't go out yet. Wait, wait till you receive power from on high. Now, listen, man, we might have been baptized in the Holy Spirit already, but do we understand what that means? And are we busy with the knowledge of God? Right? There's a boldness that comes upon you. There's a confidence that fills you when you see the life you have from God consume sin and death in the body of Jesus. A boldness. There's something in you that consumes sin and death. It consumes it. And it consumes it to the place where it ain't there no more. That's inside of you. And right now you could be afraid of what sin can do to you or what someone else's sin can do to you or what death can do to you. But inside of you is a life that consumes sin and death. And God's trying to grow you up in the knowledge of that life. Mm. Man, when you, when you see the Holy Spirit the spirit of adoption, the comforter. When you see that spirit is in you, the presence of God, you in the presence of God are thick as thieves. That's what we used to call it when I was growing up. They're thick as thieves. That meant that they had a bond that could never be broken. Man, when you see that, you'll be delivered from the fear of man. You'll be delivered from the fear of what the world can do to you. Your, your heart will begin to say, what can they do to me? Seeing my life is from heaven above and the life I have from heaven above superabounds over sin and death. You become free from the judgments in the world. You become free from the judgments of people against your life. You no longer live in this world looking for a safe place. The safe place is God. And so it's good to want to be safe, and it's right to want to save and to protect, but that place is God. You'll see the things people say and do to you cannot stain your life because your life is from above. That's what God's doing in you, all that. That boldness and confidence, that power you see manifested in the apostles. That's the workmanship of God in your life. That's why he pulled out, poured out the Holy Spirit, to produce the spirit of his son, the Christ, as the Christ walked in this earth, to produce the same thing in the Christ in you. No man takes my life. I lay it down willingly. No one can take your life. You already laid down the life the world can give you when you believed on Jesus. Go ahead and take the life I have from this world. The world is not the father of my life. Burn down this house I have from the world, and God will raise it up in less than three days. 
When you live like that, man, you're like, you got a swag. I say it all the time. It's like the Fonzie swag, right? Where like they have the, what was it, the, those machines with Cokes and, and chips in it. And nobody had any money and they're all stressed out. We can't get it out. Fonz, the Fonz wasn't worried about that. He was like, <coughs> and he just hit it. Conk, 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 conk. Or the jukebox. Nobody has money for the jukebox. The Fonz wasn't like, what are we going to do? The Fonz was like, bang, <laughs> here comes the tunes. Man, you'll start walking with the Jesus swag, right? <laughs> Glory to God. Father, I pray to you today because you have overcome sin and death in the flesh. I pray to you today because you have poured out your spirit on all flesh, that you have poured out onto us your incorruptible life. I pray to you today because you have given us your sinless life. You have given us a life that is without, without spot or blemish, Father. Father, I pray to you today because I know the work you're doing in all these people's hearts. Lord, and my prayer today is that your eyes, these, that everyone's eyes be opened, that they gain wisdom, they gain understanding, that their sight be healed and that their eyes be popped open to comprehend your work in their life, to comprehend your work in the earth and to comprehend that the work you are doing is built on the back of your indestructible life and that nothing in this world can keep it from happening. Nothing in this world can keep you from purging sin and death from this world. Nothing can keep you from purging sin and death from their lives. Thank you, Father, that you love us. Amen. Glory to God. Y'all are awesome. Thank you so much for letting me preach for so long. You guys are a great blessing.